Hello and welcome to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, a brand new series that's all about markets and investing. My name's Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Claude Walker from Ethical Equities. Hello. And Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. G'day, good to be here. Guys, we've worked together for a long time. We've known each other for a long time as well. Uh, and I'll put it out there because I know you guys won't, a little too modest, but some pretty eye-watering returns over the years. And I thought, who better to join me in this conversation to talk about markets and investing? Well, thanks, mate. But I should thank you as well for encouraging me to buy Prometicus all those years ago. It's been my biggest winner. And it's a nice thing we share that we bought shares in the same on the same day. Happy to talk about Prometicus all day long, my friend. In fact, that that is something that we should chat about in a future episode. Stay but, tuned. But we're not going to talk about it today, are we, Matthew? No, today we're going to talk about two companies that have been in the news, two battleground stocks, corporate travel management and Kogan. Uh, so perhaps we could start with corporate travel management. This is, you know, it's, it's no mystery. The name kind of gives it away. <laughs> These guys do management of corporate travel. Um, surprise, surprise. And in fact... These guys, if you had a time machine, um, maybe up until very recently, this is a stock that you would have just bet the farm on because it has delivered truly eye-watering returns to shareholders. Over the last five years alone, you've, you've got an annual average return of 30% per annum. They've grown their revenue fivefold in that time. So, you know, it's not, too bad. it's not too bad at all. This is really one of those those stocks that have just made incredible fortunes for those shareholders that have been fortunate enough to get in early enough and who had the temperament, the, the fortitude, I should say, to sort of stay with it long enough. So an incredible success story. But things started to get a little bit dicey in the, in the last little while. In fact, shares are down about, as we record this, about 40% from their record all-time highs that were hit early on in this year. Mr. Claude Walker, can you give us a bit of a rundown as to what has happened recently? Well, so first there was a short sellers report released last week, which sent the company into trading halt as it struggled to put together a response. Then the response came out, which was pretty reasonable for the situation. And now today there's been another response from the short sellers. A response VG. to the response. Indeed. And who are these short sellers? This is VGI Partners. That's the one? So VGI Partners. So let's take this back to the beginning, which was only about a week ago when they put out their first report, which is 100 pages or so, about half of which was concerned with proving beyond all doubt that a significant number of the offices that Corporate Travels claims on its website uh, were basically either you know, a, not really their active offices or maybe had one or two staff Phantom members. Ghost offices. Yes. They quite dramatically referred to them as ghost offices, the ones that barely existed. Phantom offices, I'm not sure what that one was. And skeleton offices, the That's offices... That's right, they had all three and they had little animate, like little graphics for each one. It's yeah. kind of a... It's, all, it's all about presentation. Thing. When it come out, actually? Someone definitely that, had a lot of fun with that. Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah right, right. Yeah. Uh, indeed, that was the hook <laughs> as well. Now, by the way, so as you mentioned, this is just one of 20 potential red flags and we should acknowledge that in their response, corporate travel management did say actually that's a fair that's a fair cop there are a lot of these offices well i don't think a fair cop was exactly well they acknowledge they acknowledge the truth in that but then they also said well we are really a technology company we have a presence there and we like to you know um uh give that presentation of of presence but really you know, for us to do our job and for us to service people in those geographic locations, we're not a brick and mortar retailer. We don't need to physically be there. Yeah, well, for sure. And there is that 
potential response. Although, if I'm remembering correctly, they have sort of publicised their offices all over the world in their investor presentations. So if they're a technology company and they don't need offices and all of everything you just said, then why are they publicizing their offices everywhere? Over egg the pudding perhaps a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't quite get that one. But you know, while we're talking about the weaknesses in, in the short report, I think you know another one that we all thought was quite questionable was uh, one of their red flags was something along the lines of a high... in insider ownership and a board that had been very long serving yeah generally a pretty good thing for, for my money anyway. yeah I, th- I think the argument was by having someone there for so long it allows them to have more control which could mean that allows them to pull off some kind of nefarious caper but uh <laughs> does not necessarily means that they are doing it they were definitely right. alluding to nefarious capers i'll say <laughs> that much but they had some slightly more convincing uh, evidence of questionable decisions in particular you might start with this uh, question of refi- uh, how they recognize revenue. Now, what these VGI partners people had discovered or had noticed... Alleged. Well, I don't think it is alleged at all, actually. What they had quite correctly noticed was that corporate travel management had changed the way that they recognized their revenue in the most recent results. That is true. Now, previously, when the company changed the way they recognize revenue, they were reasonably open about how that impacted their profit. Well, lo and behold, back then, it actually reduced their profit. But this time, they weren't really advertising the impact that this change in revenue recognition might have had on their profit. But And there was every reason to expect it actually boosted their profit. And indeed, in their response, they admitted that it boosted their profit, albeit they say by only... A very small okay. amount. Questionable, questionable. Matt, what about what was one of the other red flags that you thought was pretty red, uh, pretty reasonable? Pretty red. One pretty of the more red. Of the <laughs> one red of the redder. Yeah, yeah. The redder red flag. Um, was green. So I think the low earnings on the cash balance was probably one of the big ones for me. So uh, it can So essentially, what it was, they had a, a cash balance of around eighty million dollars mm-hmm. and a very small amount of interest income from that, right. which would equate to an interest rate of. 0.2 percent so what are they doing so if they're not getting a decent rate of return exactly that so yeah. when that happens people question is that cash really there if not what you know if it was there why wouldn't they generate more and kind of the accusation the alleged um the alleged happening was that the company may be managing its cash just for reporting season so if they just somehow you know um, delay a lot of payments to their suppliers they can suddenly have a lot more cash on the books just before they need to um, report earnings at the end of the now the corporate travel did respond to that one in, in a bit of detail though as well didn't they didn't they say something i'm going to mm. get this wrong um but didn't they say something to the effect of well actually we don't have that cash for very long um and therefore we don't have the potential to in sort of invest it in a term deposit or banking any kind of decent rate of return on it i think that might have been part of it they also kind of didn't really respond um talking about how they're different from a retail uh, corporate uh, retail <laughs> retail travel management like flight center flight or center. hello world um and but that doesn't really address mm. that was more to say that they shouldn't have had so much like they, they would have less cash per booking you could say yep. uh, which is a bit different to not earning interest income on that cash okay and i don't to me they didn't really satisfy um answering that one i think that's kind of what's come well, back so maybe we should step back though and talk about the timeline a little more okay. of what happened okay. let's, 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 we, we can but just on that point matt i, I think just to close that off completely you're absolutely right that they didn't really respond to that properly and in fact, what they basically said was, yeah, the CTM um, cash balances can fluctuate. And 
you know, quote, to take a point in time cash balance for analysis is not appropriate as a basis for ascertaining effective interest income. Mm. So basically, you could conclude that they're kind of admitting that this isn't how much cash they really carry on the balance sheet throughout the, throughout the half. Mm. So it was this sort of bizarre double think response where they did a really good job of very gently sort of appearing to deny the implications in the red flag, but not really denying it. I thought that their response was very skillful, but it was skillful from the perspective of someone who's facing a lot of tough questions and they want to respond without completely shooting themselves in the foot. Well, one one thing that was very clear is that the market itself certainly had a huge degree of skepticism because you know corporate tra- let me let me yes. go back to, Let's the, go timeline. to the timeline timeline okay. Okay. so the timeline was that the share price sort of started coming down along with all of the growth stocks that have seen their share price drop a little pre-release bit pre-release of the short report yeah, it was just coming down back a little anyway. and we should add here that there's been rumors about sort of problems with corporate travel management organic growth for quite some time now there's been various parties I've been hearing these for two years now. I was going to make that exact point. I think, and it's a very quick segue here, but it's one of these things that a short thesis gets released and the market's instant reaction is it must be true. And we've had some very high profile short theses that have the blue sky, Slater and Gordon, all the rest of it. I just want to make the point though that that, that the, in 2016, when there was another very high-profile fund manager made a short case against corporate travel management, it turned out to be the worst short that you could have made because shares continued to like soar after the fact. Mm. So again, just just I, I want to make that point. People tend to assume short sellers are always right. They're not. They've got pretty much the same kind of odds of success as the well, longest. Well, worse, if anything. Being, right. being yeah. early right. as a short seller is as bad as being wrong. Those guys that said... Uh, corporate travel management was a short back in uh, 2016 if they had held their short which would have been expensive to do and i highly doubt they did but if they did they would still be losing money now even now tough racket very hard so so that report came out and then the um corporate travel went into a trading hole for two days now now again we we keep stopping this but that that's kind of unusual in and of itself isn't it well i think people are taking people are taking their lead from other companies that have started to do this now when and we've seen this with uh, i think credit corp went into a trading hole and the short case against them wasn't as strong that was a that was a terrible short thesis right and that, well, that got blown out of the water pretty definitively right they, another, another example of you know let's yeah. let's take every, and and the point that i think we well, should all make just is just quickly these guys have a vested interest they've got a very you know self-acknowledged very large short position they profit when the shares go down they they want the shares to go down right yeah. so let's just but, not yeah. assume yeah, that they are slow right. down andrew i'm pretty sure that credit corp share price is actually below what it was when that short report came out now okay okay so but what did happen is they handled it pretty well Mm -hmm. it may be below probably for other reasons to claude's point so they took their time to respond they didn't just let the market open where everyone's in fear and panic mode Mm. they go into a trading halt give a couple of days to write a big response yes and then release that to the market i think they did a pretty good job of calming the fears so the market opened i think down 30 percent yep 
uh, but then rallied back up to only close down 17% for mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. So that's actually not too bad of a response considering kind of the weight of change and as it had previously been kind of a darling stock to now have this. Uh, you're right, Matt. And it should, it should also be mentioned as well that, that when you look at corporate travel today, again, 40% below that high, it still trades on a pretty lofty multiple of, of its earnings, especially for a company that has recently said it's expecting to grow its operating operating profit by about fifteen to twenty percent or so. So it's certainly taken yeah. a lot of the steam out of it, but it's still you know this is this isn't you know far from like you know what you'd call a value stock. And I know it's a sidetrack, but I should just say I was actually wrong. The credit corp share price is a little bit up from that short report. Okay. So in, implying that if you do take your time with these replies, you can do a good job and. It yeah. won't hurt you. It's very important to manage those expectations. I think Blue Sky probably did a pretty terrible so job Blue, of that. So Blue yeah, Sky anyway. is now almost yeah. the <laughs> example of what you do wrong, which is yeah. to basically just blanket deny everything. I'm being perhaps a bit unfair yeah. to them, but yeah. they are down about 80%. Just deny I think that's everything. One of those ones where we can say they were actually the, the, the short. Yeah, yeah that's were right. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 we, we, we can actually say now they were right. Yeah, like and anyway, so Blue Sky pretty much just. Yeah, that, they couldn't have looked worse. They basically denied things and started attacking the foreign short sellers, which, whilst it might play well with um, some share, some shareholders in an institutional background, oh, that sounds and great. Just doing some research, <laughs> yeah. Can't um, eliminate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for shareholders with an institutional background, it doesn't really work to do that. They're far more interested in yeah making money. They don't really care about the war the war of words so either way the point is when corporate travel management came out of this trading halt with its response which was pretty decent the share price still tanked like 20 percent. is that a case do you think of you know this it's a well hackneyed phrase in the market but you know the market hates uncertainty and you know it's just the very suggestion of impropriety is enough for it for it to go down or, 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 is, or do you read into this sort of saying, well, actually, the market's no fool. You know, there's probably some substance to it just yeah. by virtue of the fact that the shares are still down about, you know, whatever they are from the high. Yeah, so I think uh, the, the, there was two factors there. One was that it was actually a pretty good report. So it had it raised some 20 red flags, 170 pages, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fun, spooky graphics along the way about ghosts and phantom and skeleton offices. So it got some good attention there. I think there's no way the stock's going to open up the next day. I think it would have definitely traded down yeah. somewhat. But yeah. then kind of the severity, particularly when you've got a couple of days to think about it and read both responses, yeah. probably does give some, uh, it's more about the merits of that report. And so it, it doesn't help corporate travel management that prior to this short report it was trading on a multiple that really implied that this was a very trustworthy investment that you could really rely on to grow huge amounts of growth in the future but that's not unusual to corporate travel management in this market yeah i mean they've done that before but you know this high multiple stocks they really must have management that are well respected and well trusted because basically if shareholders think management don't have their heart in it and aren't going to do the right thing then they will not give the stock such a high multiple of earnings we're, we're still working our way through the timeline yeah i'm trying to get through the timeline <laughs> Sorry, you guys keep jumping uh, okay, so, so after, so bring it, bring after the first trading halt it okay. drops down to Feels uh, about 17% by the yeah, close. Yep. All right, so about 17% and now it's still trading at a multiple that implies it's going to keep growing it's not completely down and out it's just lost this sort of crown 
and now it's just a normal growth stock. And then another report comes out from VGI responding to the response uh, and coming out with a whole lot of new acquisition, uh, accusations and the shares go into halt again. So again. as of today, they're currently yes. in halt and I believe still waiting for the next response from corporate travel management. Yeah, and that's where we're at now. And, you know, I spent a little bit of time this evening reading through the response to the response and I have to say it is pretty good. I, If I held shares in corporate management... I wouldn't be feeling completely comfortable reading the this document simply because it really uh, makes the point quite clearly that there is still a number of concerns that have been little more than uh, denied but hardly proven wrong. Here's my here's my two cents on it. I so I. I read the short report, and unfortunately, it's a, it's a real frustration. This is a very quick segue, a real frustration to a lot of investors because a lot of people um, didn't get to read it because VGI don't have a, a retail uh, AFSL license that allows them to distribute it. So it's uh, that's a whole other topic for another day. So I appreciate your frustration if you didn't read it, but it was a very compelling argument. And then corporate travel came back, and that was actually, you know, for the most part, yeah. pretty compelling as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I personally, I'll put my hand up, I lack the forensic accounting skills to really be able to definitively say, oh, actually, these guys are clearly telling the truth. In fact, I'm not even sure if there's enough publicly disclosed information for an, for an investor to make that, that, that distinction. And, and that is a key point. So there are probably a number of issues raised in the reports that we should talk about. But I guess I'll kick it off with uh, the impact of this revenue recognition policy. So... The theory of the short sellers here, to, to paraphrase, would be that this is a company that claims to be growing both by acquisition and organically. However, there are questions around whether there really is organic growth. Now, every single year, bar one, it's made acquisitions that would have really impacted its earnings per share. Last year, they didn't. So, growth in that year could be amply used as evidence that there was organic growth. Now, the other thing that happened last year was this revenue recognition change, which we may have mentioned earlier. And essentially, in the past, you know, making such a change, they had given a lot of disclosure about how this impacted everything, but they didn't really give a lot of disclosure when they made this change. And in fact, they've now admitted that uh, the uh, revenue revenue recognition policy actually did increase the earnings just by a very small amount, Mm. but it still did increase their earnings. Now, essentially what the response to the response says is for corporate travel shareholders, it's impossible in our view to develop an informed view from the limited disclosures provided. So they are... That's my point. Exactly. I'm making that exact point. Like, yeah, fair enough. You're denying this, but... Oh man, and this, this just, is it seems shady. I, I, and this is this is the this is the real. We've got to move on because we've got to talk about Kogan, and otherwise we'll be here all night. But 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 this is what is I think so so difficult is that a that the complexity in these allegations are beyond most investors, and I'm certainly putting myself within that group. That is that is very very technical stuff, and 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 let alone whether the information is even there for those that are skilled enough to do it. So so Matt, the question really comes back to if I'm. Either shares in corporate ma- travel management have become much more attractive now, right? So even if I don't own shares, maybe I'm a lot more interested. I did note on Strawman that a lot of people have actually added it to their scorecards, um, in, in I, I, presumably under that assumption. Um, or if you are holding shares, the question is, you know, do I get out now because it could get a lot worse, or do is this a chance to double down? What does an investor do? 
Well, uh, the shares are in trading halt, so they don't have to, don't do have anything to make that right thing now. right now. Yeah. You get to wait for the response, the response, the response from right. the company. Right. I mean, you should be reading that. That you should be informed about what's going on. And if you don't think you should be, inf- don't think you can get informed, maybe you shouldn't be holding it at that price. You know, right. you have to you have to weigh that up as well. Are you comfortable holding it, given what's been said? If you, um, you know, if if that's kind of completely beyond you, maybe it is is something to consider. This isn't isn't right. I've, um, I've, I've I think that's really smart, and I, I've certainly think that a lot of the time as, as investors we feel as though we have to make a decision, and I think a really good decision often is is to not make a decision. In other words. Now this is this is for this class of people who don't hold shares but might be looking you know yeah. enviously from the sidelines is and this is this is me I don't hold corporate travel management shares by the way I wish I did buy them five years ago I'd be a very happy person even despite the fall but for me right now I'm not going to buy and that's not because I have a strong view on it being either the fraud of the century or the bargain of the century I just I'm just not smart enough to tell and when that's the case and frankly you guys know me well enough to know that that's that's generally the case when that is the case I'm just happy to put that in the too hard basket. Claude, what's your take? Well, I I definitely wouldn't touch the shares for a while. I think that it'll end up trading at a discount. I think that the salient point here is that um, they've changed the discount rates that they use to value their acquisitions. They haven't explained why they've done that. They haven't named their source for why they should be able to change this. And if I may, I'll just read from the Bloomberg transcript of the corporate travel conference call. An analyst asked, What's changed in the countries that drove the drop in, in the number, the numbers, the, the cost of equity? And then the CFO replied, risk premiums and asset beaters. Okay, cool. All right, said the analyst. I'm Thanks. Lost. I'm totally lost. And, yeah. and it's just, it's not a clear answer. Mm. You, you need to say something more specific than that. And they don't source where they're getting the cost of equity. This is this remains extremely unexplained. Can I just say, like this, we are so easy to go down the rabbit hole in this. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Any balance sheet, like any balance sheet that's out there on the ASX, wherever there is goodwill carried, someone is making an assumption, and it's it's all. I would argue it's impossible to definitively say that you know there's a, there's a, there's a range of values that you could reasonably use that that are completely justifiable. Yeah, but the key know? point so, is that they're making assumptions that are inflating the value of these assets. It does, it does inflate, but but is that necessarily wrong? I mean, they, their response was actually, this is, a very, you know, we've used a very a definitive yeah, source. To inflate the value of cash flow generating assets when interest rates are going up doesn't make sense to a yeah, lot that, of that is that is kind of strange it's kind of kind of going the opposite direction to the I know this I'm not saying I know it doesn't this sounds work in arcane, their favor, but it but should traditional economic theory would suggest if anything it goes the other way yeah so that doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong but it does mean that a little more than just sort of citing unnamed risk premiums and asset beaters might be required in convincing the market that this was the right move to make. All right. It's definitely so, not something that the market was thinking about before this all came up. So, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Okay, so for me, it was a too hard basket. For Matt, for you? Yeah, you don't need to buy every company. Like, you don't need to get involved in that. You're battle, not doing anything? Think. Claude, you're not doing anything? No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying to short it right now, but I definitely, I'm not uh, diving in. To, right, let to me I'll ask one more question and then we'll move on to Kogan. Um, what would you do if you did hold shares today? And I, I, I know I know shares are in a trading hole before you point that out, Captain Obvious. But but um, they will not be forever. When when trade resumes, what do you do? 
Uh, I would probably be selling, but it depends what price, right? If they right. drop eighty percent on the open, then you probably wouldn't be selling anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, at these, at the prices they last traded at, I would, I wouldn't be holding if I owned. But that is good, just good answer. Ask yourself, would you be buying today? That's always my decision of whether I should yeah, be such a great holding this test, Claude. I, I mean, I guess I do the same, but it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes because I would have definitely sold as soon as I read the initial short report okay. on it. Okay. So to to be owning shares at this point is just completely opposite to what I do as an investor. Fair enough, fair enough. Man, so much to unpick there. And you know what I really, one of these days we will do it for a future podcast. I'd love to talk about short selling in general because it's such a divisive topic. But let's not go down that rabbit hole just now. Let's go down this rabbit hole. Let's go down the Kogan rabbit hole. And let me give, let me paint you a picture here. This is another stock, a hero stock, you might want to call it, that, that is, you know, the classic guy in his garage starting this small little business that goes on to be the probably i think it's fair to say the dominant online retailer in australia um uh, they listed um not too long ago only back in uh, 2016 you know sales in the last financial year jumped 42 percent net profit after tax jumped 281 percent thank you very much operating leverage it's been incredibly incredibly successful story however Shares did hit a high of $10 back in March, and today they are 72% below that figure. Now, a bit of a steady decline for much of that, but very recently, these guys updated the market with, with a trading update, and then we saw a really big drop, and things have continued to fall. Oh, so much to start okay, with. Okay, so what, let's what, what, what do you think here? dial back a bit. We've had this massive share price drop, but what happened before that? Well... Uh, some of the things that caught my attention was that uh, back in February, founder uh, Russell Kogan sold $50 million worth of shares at $8.80. And uh, there, were, there was a small buy by one of his co-directors worth $20,000. And then early uh, or major shareholder David Schaefer uh, in... See the CFO? I think he's up there. Anyway, yeah, okay. In June sold... Uh, 10 million and uh, Russ and Kogan uh, this is just a few days later uh, a few months later I beg your pardon sold 31 million so we're up to sales worth about mm, uh, 90 million dollars and then and and this is the thing this is at ever lower prices first they sold at eight dollars eighty then they I sold think, I think the phrase you're looking for is sold reluctantly was the term <laughs> oh, yeah, that's used, reluctant. used in the, no, uh, the reluctant sale wasn't till later but anyway I think they said they were gonna okay so I think he said he's a reluctant seller and then they weren't able to find anyone to buy and then that's sold right. yeah, like two that, weeks later. Yeah, but that was even more recently. It was at an even lower price. You guys yeah. are confusing all the director, multi-million dollar director sales on this company can be confused with each other because there's so many of them. Okay. So you're, we haven't even got up to the reluctant sale. I guess the, the non-reluctant <laughs> sale was $50 million at $8.80. Then we had a few more sales, ten million and thirty okay, so million. So the point is, is that you, wait, 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 wait! I want to get to the reluctant sale here, <laughs> and then we finally selling. have <laughs> the reluctant, the reluctant sale in September, just a few months ago, at six dollars forty-one by uh, the same two directors for a grand total of just shy of forty million dollars. So I'll put that in context. Shares are now at what two seventy odd Dude, or something. That sale at six dollars forty must have been so reluctant. Now can can I can I just I'm, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because why not? Um, and I would say uh, good lemonade there. Yeah it's great. Just open that up. So my my 
my two cents are this. I know it's very easy to sort of look at director selling and then and automatically infer that that is a, a, a serious red flag. And, and let's face it, 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 it's not a good look. But I, I, I would say to you guys, hand on heart, if I was Rosalind Kogan and I had 99% of my wealth in this company and I would, I know that there are very large amounts to, to us mere mortals, but he, he sold down all of that and he would probably still have 70% of his wealth in this one company. I would do exactly the same. And I would say this, I would do exactly the same even if I was super, super bullish on the company because that's just prudent financial management. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, I think so. There's there's some good research on this because yeah, there's the different types no, of insider, insider selling. So the kind of old maxim is from Peter Lynch is insiders buy for one reason, but they sell for many. So they buy because they think it's going to go up. Love they sell that saying. Maybe for a lot of reasons, diversification and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, so there's some good research on this. There is some effect from insider selling, but it tends to be muted across the board. Where it is more interesting is when the share price is already down mm. and then the insiders are selling. That's true. That's, that's a negative signal because you know they could have sold at a high price. Bad news is out. Yep. Instead of buying at a bargain, they're still selling. Yeah. Um, so that's where it gets interesting. And I think, I think you're right. You have to view, th- view this as like one signal amongst many others. Mm. So I think we should dig a bit more into the business itself. Let's right? let's, let's exactly do that. I and mean, it's a great point that you raised, Claude, but we're going we're gonna to put that to one side for a moment. Um, again, I just, again, very recently listed company. Um, the, the prospectus is out there on the web for anyone who wants to have a look at it, but pre-listing, incredible growth. Since listing, incredible growth again. Um, to my mind, I, I, I was negative. I was publicly negative on Kogan, but I, I, I've, I'm not going to do a victory lap because my... My thesis was never on that this is a bad company. In fact, I actually think it's a great company. I think he's done wonders with with what he has created. If if only any of us could create a company like that. My problem was always with the valuation. The valuation was always stratospheric. And even if you took an optimistic view on what they would, you know, what market share they would be able to capture or what rate of growth they would be able to sustain, even under those scenarios, I still couldn't make the assumptions give me a value that that made sense i think that there'd been a lot of announcements here as well where they're constantly opening up what you'd call a new vertical right right mobile phones for example exactly so a whole new a whole new industry effectively that they're entering so that would be kogan mobile um kogan insurance i don't know if there was pet insurance if i just joked about that but there's all sorts of these products probably like five or six different ones and by the way a, a big part of the bull thesis a legitimate part right yeah, so that's the thing though, right? It's like partly legitimate, but how much, you know, that's just an announcement. It's like, I'm announcing that I'm going to um, start a software company. It doesn't mean that I've started one. Yeah, but, you know, so. True. And true. also, as we know, is you, you have only so many uh, moments of customer attention. You can't very easily sell the same guy in the same internet visit, a TV, a mobile phone plan, plan and pet insurance. You, you more or less have to, choose one what are you going to try to advertise as your like impulse yeah that's purchase? a really good point so you it's really just hard like you got but do you, you have got, to buy everything though like if i'm buying there for a tv and i maybe i just pick up one of their extra offerings that is still a there's still a multiplier effect there right yeah maybe uh that's probably not the right let, term. let to be seen uh, yeah not a multiplier but the point is the way that the market was reacting to these announcements is if every single intention that they had yes, they, they could just sell anything exactly. I, I actually totally. tend to disagree I, I think that Kogan's main advantage is a reputation for being uh, competitively priced yes I don't think that people necessarily want to buy their um, insurance from someone who's competitively, competitively priced and I don't necessarily think 
that they are the only competitively priced telco out in the market. There's constantly, for those people that want to buy an inexpensive mobile plan, maybe Matt, you'll know something about this. Um, there's always... It's, it sounded like a slur. The, no, I like no, to buy cheap. You, you tight. I don't know what I'm... <laughs> there's Matt always Charles. somebody in the market who's willing to lose money to acquire customers that's fine. They can give that money to me anytime. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fine. But I'm just saying that it's hard to, you know, compete in that. In that, you can either lose money to acquire customers. Yeah, but or there, you there's, can ma- there's positive margin. There's positive gross margin on, as far as my understanding is, on a lot of these products. Sure, sure. Right? So, but I just don't think they're that big. But then, more importantly, and this was the really the thing that, in my mind, combined with the director selling to create enough wariness for me to you know go on tv and say i thought it was the cell uh and that was that you've got these changes to the gst rules Mm. that mean that uh all internet purchases at below a thousand dollars are now suddenly subject to to gst now Now, they were claiming that some of their competitors were skirting which i'm sure is true but who does this affect the most this affects the people that are selling on price this does not affect as badly the people who might have these luxury goods that they're selling over the internet where their purchases that the people buying that are not doing it because it's the cheapest way to get it Uh, are you saying i i hear what you're saying actually but but i i would say that there is a degree of brand value and trust in there as well so i bought a tv off of kogan i had a pretty good experience with that you and I have disagreed with that on the past. That's a whole other podcast discussion. But but it, it means that once, and we know that the science on this is pretty solid, right? Once you've purchased with someone, once you've done that transaction, you've had a good, I am far, far, far more likely to go back there. So when they do say, hey, by the way, you can also get a mobile phone plan with us. Or by the way, you can, I like, yeah, I'm much more likely to do it having had that positive first experience. So it's so while you're while you're you're, you're right in what you say, I don't think it's it's necessarily easy to dismiss all of that and sort of say there's no, no, no value I, in there. I'm not dismissing the mobile phone thing. Or... What I'm saying is that previously, Kogan was a beneficiary of the fact that JB Hi-Fi had to add GST to their televisions right. and Kogan did not. No. Okay. Previously, yeah. Kogan benefited from that. But was the difference just 10%? Was GST the only 10% difference? 10% on... what Because I, I bought my like, telly off Kogan and, and I did. I, I paid... like The price I paid for the equivalent technical spec was like 50% difference compared to a Sony, for example. The, the, I don't know about Sony. Definitely they're cheaper than We're Samsung. We haven't mentioned the, the elephant in the room here either, which uh, is that, Amazon's entry that's, as well. That's what we need to um, mention. And so, yeah. yeah, they're kind of trying to do a strategy which would, which could work. I think we would agree it could work. Yes. But the, question, the problem was the market was giving them credit, although it had worked every time they announced one. Right. Um, and it kind of leaves out the fact that Amazon has entered over that same period, um, kind of the most formidable, soon to be probably the largest company in the world, who has executed this a similar strategy of going into multiple things, but done it very well over many years and with extremely Didn't, low cost. Weren't some people saying that Amazon was a positive for Kogan? So the idea there is that because you are making the online transaction more favorable, more normalized, that that is good for the market. So the market, let's say the, the, the online purchasing market grows as a percentage of all, so, all transactions. Because really new, isn't it? Not many people have learned <laughs> I'm just that. Saying, I'm just saying, so it, gro- it grows very significantly. So let's say that Kogan only ever has 1% of the market share, only ever, but the market itself grows 10x over the next 10 years. 
that is still a very positive tailwind for that business. I actually think there's some truth to that. Maybe a little bit, but I, I, I don't know. If you're going to be competing with Amazon, I think that might have an effect for a while. Like, uh, hey, online shopping, like a lot of the, the baby boomers are getting into it for the first time maybe, but that doesn't mean that it's um, going to last when you actually are competing with the most competitive, uh, ruthlessly low-cost company in yeah. the history of the world. <laughs> you, know I think you know I like to be devil's advocate, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But can't you buy Bo- Kogan stuff on Amazon? Are you going to say Bogan? I then? almost said Bogan. <laughs> can't you... Can't you buy Kogan like televisions on Amazon? Uh, you, you 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 can. Yeah, actually, I think that yes. was another one that, of the pictures of how. Yeah, that must be them. great for Kogan. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so here's here's the con- like, again we've got to be yeah. mindful of time. So here's the contrast that I wanted to 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 say in terms of relative to corporate travel management. With corporate travel management, there is potentially a uh, possibility here that maybe there was a bit of fraudulent activity with the books. We just don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of question marks here. Kogan is different. Yes, Kogan has come back a Fraud's long way. Fraud is a strong word. Fraud I'm is a sure strong word. I really agree with Fraud that. Fraud is a strong word, but you know, but what, I'm, you know what I'm I saying? I think that there's potential We're, for overly promotional presentation of the company. But Kogan is different. And my point is, is that the reason Kogan is different is that what the market has changed its mind on is more of a valuation concern. Now, I would argue that Kogan is not worth zero. So Amazon, I agree, massive, massive threat. A lot of these uh, verticals, you know, the, the market has gotten way carried away with the potential. I agree with all of that kind of stuff. But we are now talking about a business that has gone from 10 bucks, which was always ridiculous, back to $2.70. Now, maybe that's still too expensive, but w- w- at what point does it not become expensive? $1.30, $2, is this, I- I'm gonna try and put words in your mouth here, Claude, is this, is this a never buy no matter what? Or is it just still not cheap enough for you? It, to be honest, it's probably not one that I will be looking to buy, but I definitely think it overshoots to the downside. Like I ultimately agree mostly with what you said there. It's going to be worth something. People are buying a lot of items through Kogan. They make a profit. They've Very paid div- They've paid dividends. Yeah. So I think that it's definitely worth something. And I think that it's you know near certain that the market will overshoot to the downside and maybe they are now um it's not trading on a particularly outrageously expensive multiple of last year's earnings you know they don't need to they no longer need extensive growth to be a good investment Mm -hmm. having said that it's just not uh, it's, it's not floating your boat. No, I'm it's getting not. It's just not what I. It's just not what I look for in an investment. You know, I'm looking for much higher margin companies usually, mm-hmm. uh, with with usually if I can, uh, a global client base. So, given that I'm like reasonably cautious about the Australian economy, getting into a retailer that um, is in the doldrums is not something that appeals to me right now. Matthew. I'm, I'm starting to get a little interested, to be honest. Okay. Um, I agree with everything Claude said. It's not um, it's not a super high quality company in terms of um, earning like high profit margins, mm. high returns on equity, that type of thing. And retail is just hard, right? Retail is hard, but they do have a pretty good position. I could see them getting taken out by Amazon mm. um, in a trade. So I think their market cap's around 260 million now. Um, I think Amazon, if they could buy it for that, would get a pretty good foothold and a lot yeah. of distribution and I a lot agree of other stuff. And be able to run the company a lot better than I, Kogan. From yeah, it. I hadn't even thought of that angle, actually. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd say I'm interested, but I'm not like jumping in. And I'd want to want to just see uh, probably some more results, potentially, because I, I think they've they've kind of obscured a few things, being a bit promotional. And I like to like to see that they're actually still growing. The, the most recent update, 
was effectively that some of the business lines are just down, which is like for a growth company with less right. than margins, you have to keep growing. Um, and the margins to me is the real one that I want to get comfortable with because they're very thin already. And if those come under more pressure, which is what they're saying, um, that's very bad news for them. That is, that sir, is a very, very nice tease to a little bit of uh, work that I know you've been uh, plugging away at in the background for your website. I know you're talking a bit about inflection points there. And I'm, I want to try and actually revisit this if I can actually commit us to doing it either next week or the week after because yes, it's a fascinating one. And Kogan is potentially a very, very, very good example of that. Um, my two cents, um, I actually think that I, on, on Strawman, I, I put my valuation at 388. I certainly lowered it after the update, but I'm still still well above where I am. I've, I'm still assuming pretty strong sales growth. Okay. And I'm, and there's a, um, and I'm only going out three or four years here and um, a reasonable margin and you've got to factor in the operating leverage there now that's probably the, the the attack on that might be that yes that's okay but you, longer term things are a lot more challenging so i will revisit that but i i likewise am getting very interested as well although i've been very negative on kogan for a while so 388 it's currently what 280 ish it's like 40 percent over you, you know, must be it, close to buying you know what here's the thing this is and this is a whole podcast in and of itself you sort of like you try and feel as though you do some objective work right you break you dust off the spreadsheet you do some work and then the market like fundamentally disagrees with you to not like five or ten percent like to like a ridiculous degree and, you know, I like to talk a good game about eh, the market's going to do, you know, you have to sort of stick to your guns, but it is very hard to stick to your guns when, when your valuation is out that much. Either the market is like ridiculously wrong or I am. And I'll, I'll tell you what, if it's still trading, I think it was 18 times past earnings or something now, if it's still trading at that multiple after the full impact of the GSD changes washed through, then I would say I think it's probably really good value. I just think that what people are underweighting is that Kogan was potentially just an arbitrage. You can buy at JB Hi-Fi and pay 10% GST, or you can buy online from Kogan and not pay 10% GST. I realize mm. that their cheapest yeah, products yeah. Yeah. were under that, but there's still this sort of like base arbitrage level where it's a tax, tax arbitrage. Guys, I'm pretty happy with that first episode. I think we actually managed to get through that without, well, I certainly- good chat. You know, I'll, I'll speak for you guys. You didn't embarrass yourselves too much. Who knows what I did? But you know, let's let's pretend it was Just one, one take. take. <laughs> let's pretend it was one take. Um, uh, look, before we wrap it up, I, I'd like to say that we're going to put um, some Twitter handles and uh, an email address or two in the show notes here as well. We'd love you to get in contact with us if there's a stock that you're interested in talking about, if there's something you want to challenge us on, you know, whatever it may be, we would love to hear from you. So make sure you get out um, and, and get back to us. Uh, also, as well, if you're listening to this on iTunes, make sure you give us a big, nice, rating that certainly helps us reach more people and ensures that we can continue to do this or whatever your hap- your your platform of choice is gentlemen closing remarks Claude. well if we get enough listens to this then we'll we'll do it next week and next week i'll be happy to talk about the stock that i've bought most recently Ooh, Ooh, nice tease i like it yeah, no, I'm keen to keen to keep doing this. So please, please send through some questions and comments on Twitter. I'd like to have a kind of interactive session where we can hear what people are interested in, and um, hopefully it's the same things that we're keen to talk about. Um, but yeah, send through those comments.
And if you'd like to hear more from these guys, uh, I would very strongly encourage you to go to mattjoss.com. Uh, that is M-A-T-T-J-O-A-S-S.com or Ethical Equities. I'm not going to spell it because it, it's it's the normal spelling, uh, unlike unlike your name, Matt. <laughs> we yeah. go with that. Um, uh, some really, really, really great stuff there uh, as well. Ethicalequities.com.au. Sorry, .com. Or just Google Ethical Equities. It will be the first result. Well done to you, Claude. Until next time, I've been Andrew Page, Matt Joss, and Claude Walker. And we're the Three Wise Monkeys. See you next time.